We're going to time travel back today to the year 1900s. And I want you just to imagine for a few moments with me as we look back. It's the summer of 1900. You're standing along one of the streets of London, the capital of the world. Europe has been totally, uh, Europe has totally dominated the Eastern Hemisphere. There's hardly a nation on this planet that is not ruled from a European capital, directly or indirectly. Europe is enjoying success, unprecedented prosperity. Trade is so vibrant, no one thought war was possible. The future was not only bright, it was secure, and a prosperous Europe would rule the world. Now imagine yourself, it's the summer of 1920, living in the same city. Europe is torn apart by a horrific war. The continent is in tatters. The great European empire, the Ottoman empire, the Austria-Hungarian empire, the German empire, the Russian, they're all gone. All gone. The war only ended when the U.S. army of a million soldiers intervened. Communism dominated Russia. The countries that had been on the periphery of the world stage, like United States and Japan, were suddenly emerging as world powers, and the future wasn't looking as bright as we all thought it would be. Summer of 1940, London, same city. Germany now dominates the world. The Soviet Union has allied itself with the Germans. Great Britain stood alone against the Axis powers. Much of Europe had fallen and it seemed that all was lost. Everyone expected Germany to dominate Europe for the next 1,000 years, or so it seemed. Same city, summer 1960, Germany has completely been crushed. Europe is occupied, split down in the middle by the United States and Russia. The United States emerged as the global superpower. It dominates all the world's ocean, and with its nuclear power, no one could dictate terms with the Americans. Both Russia and China are steep in ideologies, uh, communist ideology. Summer of 1980, the United States has just been defeated in a bruising seven-year war, not by the Soviets, but by communists, not Vietnam. It was not just expelled from Vietnam, it was also expelled from Iraq, Iran. And then the first Gulf War happened, and then the second Gulf War happened when a US-led coalition invaded Iraq. Summer of the year 2000, the Soviet Union has completely collapsed. China is still communist in name, but capitalist in practice. NATO has made significant advances in Eastern Europe. The world was prosperous and peaceful again. Geopolitics had given way to economic considerations. There were a few basket cases like North Korea and Iran, but all in all, things were looking up. And then 9-11 took place and the world spun out of control again. Long queues, stringent checks at airports became a norm and the world would never recover from that. Summer of 2020, massive pandemic paralyzes the world. No one saw this coming, not even with all our sophistication. It caught the world by surprise and today the death count has exceeded six million with almost half a billion people infected with a microscopic virus that brought the world to a standstill. Spring 2022, Russia invades Ukraine. Ladies and gentlemen, what can we conclude with all these things? Three things. Number one, that when it comes to the future, the only thing that we can be sure of is common sense will be wrong. There are no 20-year cycles. There are no simplistic forces governing these things. All this teaches us 
is that history can change in a given moment with stunning rapidity and prediction, all the prediction, all the forecasting by experts is just an expression of human folly. The invasion of, Russia, of Ukraine took place so quickly, it caught the world by surprise. All the experts were caught flat-footed. They were saying, that's not going to happen, that's not going to happen, and that's exactly the point. No one can predict these things and what's going to happen next. We don't even know what's going to happen within the six, next six months. Things are going to happen with such speed, such rapidity, that it will shock this world. So we better get prepared for what is about to be the most tumultuous times in the history of mankind. The birth pangs are about to begin and nations are weaponizing for war as I speak. The second thing that we can conclude is that mankind is a warring species. The Marichal de Sex is a French field marshal said that the human heart is the starting point of all matters pertaining to war. There is a bent in us. There is a bent in humanity towards conflict. And if left to ourselves, we would self-destruct. Jesus himself alluded to the fact that if he did not intervene at the end of the age, no flesh shall be saved. Did you know that we have enough nuclear weapons on this planet to destroy the world many times over? Did you know that it takes just 10 nuclear weapons to about 100 to end all of humanity. Mark my words, ladies and gentlemen, nuclear weapons will be used. The Bible clearly predicts nuclear warfare on planet Earth. You know, before the invention of nuclear weapons, there were some scriptures in the Bible that were a mystery to even the most enlightened Bible scholars. One of them was Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 12. It says that this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. This is an account of a battle that was going to be taking place somewhere in the future. And here is the plague. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. Their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. How is it that your eye can dissolve in your sockets and your tongue can, can be consumed in your mouth before your corpse even hit the ground? That's the effects of a nuclear explosion. It produces so much heat that in less than a million of a second, your eyes will disappear, your tongue will flesh, will melt, and your flesh will dissolve instantaneously. Shocking that a man called Zechariah could predict this thousands of years before. But such is the propensity of mankind for human destruction, self-destruction. James tells us all wars originate from the human heart. Jeremiah tells us that the human heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. It cannot be reformed. It cannot be enlightened. It can only be washed from its crippling sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. The third thing that we can conclude is this, that the eventual end of humanity will be self-destruction unless God intervenes. Right at the end of the age, there will be one final war. The nations of the earth will be gathered together in one final battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And it will be the mother of all battles. It will be the battle to end all battles. And they will gather for one purpose and one purpose alone. And that is to exterminate the Jewish race. And God will permit the devil to gather the nations to bring them to a place called Megiddo. Which is a, which is a plain that is built for warfare. And in this one final battle, the Lord himself will arise and fight for Israel. And we will see the destruction of the armies of the world. God will permit the enemy to do this for his purposes. You have to understand that in God's eyes, the ultimate purpose for war is to bring about peace. The purpose of Armageddon is to end all wars and usher in a period 
of peace that would stretch for a thousand years. We as Christians call it the millennial reign of Christ. Now Jesus taught extensively. Oh, by the way, one of the reasons why we will have peace for a thousand years is because the instigator of war will be bound in that bottomless pit for a thousand years. I'll come to that in a few moments. Matthew 24 has often been called the spine of biblical prophecy. Jesus spoke extensively on the last days and nowhere more than Matthew 24. In verse 6, Jesus said, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. In my personal opinion, the war in Ukraine is a significant harbinger. When that war began, something shifted, something was triggered and something was set in motion and there is no turning back. I predict that after this war, there will be war after war after war after war fought in various places till the last great war before Jesus Christ returns. But Jesus said we're not to be troubled. All these things will happen. Wars, rumours of wars, and we will never have peace. No matter what the United Nations says, we will never have peace on the earth until the Prince of Peace comes back again. Chuck Pierce recently prophesied that the gods of war have been unleashed. I read that with great interest. It intrigued me. And something stirred in my spirit. I looked up and discovered that every culture has their own gods of war. The Roman god of war was called Mars, a god who loved conflicts. The Greek god of war was Ares, who was said to have an unquenchable thirst for violence. The Russian god of war was Santovic. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a Slavic war god. And all these so-called gods have been unleashed at various times to create havoc and conflict on the earth. And you've got to remember, Satan is the instigator of war. Jesus told us that these things would happen and that we're not to be alarmed because these are just the beginning of the labor pains. What was the Lord's exhortation to us in Matthew 24? He said, see that you're not troubled. All these teachings of the last days is to prepare us, not to trouble us. We're not to be frightened. We're not to be fearful because that is not the desired outcome of Matthew 24. The desired outcome of Matthew 24 is faith and preparation, not fear. Nation will rise against nation. Verse 7, kingdom against kingdom. You know, a significant phrase that mankind never used before until the second, until the last 20th century is the phrase world war. In the last century, we had two. Verse 8, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. You know, a better word is birth pangs or labor pains. So let me ask you a, a rhetorical question. Well, maybe it's not rhetorical. Does the birth pangs bring the baby or does the baby bring the birth pangs? I think both statements are true, yes? But which is more important, the birth pangs or the babies? What we're seeing right now, ladies and gentlemen, are the birth pangs. And the danger is, we focus only on the birth pangs and completely forget why those birth pangs are happening. They're happening because the baby is coming. Hallelujah. What is Jesus truly returning for? Come on. What is Jesus truly returning? He's not coming back for this world. He's coming back for the bride. He's coming back for the church. He's coming back for a full-grown, fully matured bride without spot and wrinkle. He's not coming back for a child bride, by the way. And that is what we must be fully focused on because heaven will not let him go. Heaven will not release him until the church is fully ready. Hallelujah. One of the big mistakes we make, we often make as God's people, is that we have a tendency to look at world events 
and then try to interpret those events in regards to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So every time there's a catastrophe, every time there's a conflict, we scramble, we try to interpret those events in the connection with the last days. And especially when there's some war, there's always an upsurge in biblical prophecy, you know. And while I'm not, I'm say, I'm not saying that that is wrong, I'm saying we're looking at the wrong places to get the answer because God has given us the most accurate, most up-to-date document. It's called the Bible and it's more accurate than your tomorrow's newspaper. If you read it, it will give you discernment. If you read it, it will give you comfort and wisdom and encourage you and it will help you navigate through this dark times. The question is, if there are birth pangs, what's going to be born? I'll tell you what's going to be born. The kingdom of God is going to be established here on planet Earth. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer and I encourage you every day at least to pray it once and you pray the, st the start of the prayer is about kingdom and the end of the prayer is about kingdom. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. And then we end the prayers, for yours is the kingdom. I tell you the Lord's prayer or the disciples' prayer is about the ushering of a kingdom here on earth. Hallelujah. That's why it's the most apostolic prayer in the Bible. A friend of mine was sharing a conversation he had with the staff of a well-known televangelist. The staff told my friend that whenever the TV ratings starts, started to go south, the marketing people would tell him, Pastor, you got to go back preaching on prophecy on the last days. And whenever he did that, the ratings would jump right back up. And I tell you this, I'm not speaking on the last days so that you will like my, my sermons on, on Facebook. I'm not speaking on the last days so that my ratings will go up. I don't care about what you think about me. I'm telling you this, I'm doing this because I believe much of the church is still ignorant of what is coming in the future in spite of the fact that God has given us so much warning in the Bible. Many Christians still opt to read from all these media outlets, uh, media uh, uh, um, uh, 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 blogs, uh, rather than go to the most accurate and up-to-date source of information, the Bible. Read your Bibles, my friends. Read your Bibles. Especially the book of Revelation. It brings so much comfort. It brings so much joy. Hallelujah. Because it gives you a clear understanding of what is about to happen. Oh, my friends, I'm telling you, 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter spoke of the last days and he paints a very vivid and apocalyptic picture of what's going to happen. He take, talks about how the earth will melt with fervent heat and the heavens dissolving. Hey, that's a picture, again, of the nuclear holocaust. But what was the purpose of speaking these things? He said in verse 11, What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? Verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace without spot, and blameless. Why did Paul, why did Peter paint to us such a vivid, such an apocalyptic view of the future? I tell you why he did that. He said, listen, the, the future is going to be difficult, but prepare yourself now. That's the whole purpose. The big question, according to Peter, is not what's going to happen tomorrow. The big question, according to Peter, is in the light of what's going to happen tomorrow, what are you doing right now to prepare yourself? What kind of people ought you to be? And that's where our focus has to be, my friends. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament were constantly prophesying of future events. Our Lord was consistently talking about the futures, apostles as well. But none of it was intended for our curiosity. None of it was intended for sensationalistic purposes. It is given to prepare us for the here and for the now in order that we might prepare to face the future. I love, the, I love this church and I love you guys. I'm your senior pastor. There are times God speaks to me prophetically. And I have a duty when He speaks to me 
to declare to this church what the Lord says, to warn you about the future, to warn you about the things coming. And I don't want to be muzzled and I cannot be restrained to do that. Or else I will not function in my prophetic unction that God has given to me. Now here's a scary verse, right? Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 to 16. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false I plead with you, please stop eating frogs. <laughs> a frog is a picture of a demon, an unclean spirit. And they were spirits of demons performing signs that goes out to the kings of the earth and of all the whole world to gather them for the battle of the great day of the Lord God Almighty. Now this event takes place Somewhere in the future, in the sixth bowl of judgment, when it's poured out on the river Euphrates, and the river dries out three times, and at that time, three unclean spirits will go forth from the mouth of the unholy trinity to gather the kings and their armies for one final battle to bring them to a place called Armageddon. So this gathering of this humongous army, the largest army ever assembled in history, is instigated by the devil. And right in the middle of this vision, I'm telling you, picture this with me. John the Revelator, he's seeing this vision. It's unfolding before him. And right in the middle of the vision, Jesus steps in and he interjects and he stops the vision. And he says, he behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is he who watches, who keeps his garments, and he walk, that lest he walks naked and they see his shape. Don't miss this, my friends. In the midst of all this chaos, chaos and upheaval, what was the Lord concerned about? He was concerned about his church, his people that we are watching, we are praying, and keeping our garments clean and spotless. The danger for us is we get so caught up with the events around us that we forget all this is to remind us to be sober, to be praying, and to be watchful. Hallelujah. Yes, the world is becoming more anti-Christ by the hour. Everything down from governments to Hollywood and yes, to Disney World too. To the media, to businesses, everything is being prepared to challenge the authority of God. Biblical values and morals are being eroded and considered antiquated and Christians are portrayed all the time as bigots and right-wing nutjobs. Yes, Satan has devised many weapons against the church. You know, God never said those weapons won't be formed against you. He said they won't prosper. He can form them, but they won't prosper against you. Number three, yes, the gods of this world are being unleashed. Gods of war are being unleashed. But God is an answer to that. He's got His own army that He's going to rise, raise up. And I tell you this, it's going to be the greatest end-time army. And the focus has to be on the harvest at the end of the age. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't be distracted by what's going on. Don't be distracted by the politics that's going on. Don't be distracted by the geopolitical wars that are going on. Keep your eyes on Jesus because that is what He is concerned about. He is concerned about the bringing in of the harvest. Hallelujah. You think about it, the early church existed in the time of the greatest conflict. The Romans were the occupational army and they were a violent bunch, man. And they would not hesitate to show force against anyone who challenged the might of Rome. And in spite of that violence, the early church thrived under the tyranny of the Romans and they were unstoppable because they were not focused on what the Romans were doing. They kept their eyes on the price and they kept preaching the gospel and everywhere they went, they turned cities the right side up. Hallelujah. And the Romans, the greatest empire on this planet ever, did not know what to do with the church. They had no idea what to do. The more we killed them, the more they sprang out like rabbits. It was Gandhi. Gandhi who said this. He said, don't touch the Christians. Don't touch the Christians. 
He said, the more you persecute them, the more they spring like rabbits. Hallelujah, shakaba. There's a country in Asia right now that's a basket case. They've gone through so much. They don't have oil. They don't have nothing left. It's 12 hours of curfew and no patrol and, uh, you know, no, no electricity. And I, I love this nation because I've been there 25 times at least. I've got lots of friends there. When I tell you why the nation is sometimes so judged by God, it's because they persecute and kill so many Christians. They persecute the church. They persecute the Christians. And if any time I get to speak with a foreigner, if somebody of some influence, we'll always say to them, whatever you do, don't touch the Christians. Let them alone. Let them do God's work. Because there is a judge. I'm telling you, you touch God's people, you're touching the apple of His eye. And there will be a response. I want to close with 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3 and 4. He says, Paul says to Timothy, Therefore, you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. In the days of the great prophet Elisha, a Syrian general contracted leprosy. And he heard that there was a God in Israel who could heal. And so Israel, of course, was at war with Syria. And it, it took him great humility to humble himself, to come to Israel, to ask for the God of Israel's help. He comes to Elisha, the great prophet, and the prophet doesn't even accords him the courtesy by coming out to greet him, sends an apprentice and says, go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. The general was, was furious with rage because he was so humiliated. He says, don't we have enough better rivers in Syria? And he stormed off in a huff and his men and servants said, oh great general, this is a small thing that the prophet is asking you to do. Why don't you humble yourself? And so he decided he was going to humble himself and went to the river Jordan and dipped himself. On the sixth time when he came up from the river, he was still covered with leprosy. When God says seven, he doesn't mean six, he doesn't mean eight, he means seven. On the seventh time he came out of the water, his skin was like a baby skin. Goes back to the prophet with all the wealth and gold and silver and festive garments. He said, I need to repay you for the debt of healing me. The prophet said, I don't want anything that you've got. I don't need anything that you've got. But I want you to remember, you treat Israel well, don't touch Israel. They're my people. They're God's people. And you remember, you owe a debt to the God of Israel. He goes off and he remembers the debt. But there was a silly young man, covetous young man called Gehazi. He runs after the great general. He says, oh general, my, my, my master has got some friends and he needs some of the gold and silver. And the, the general was more than obliged to give this man the festive garments and all those things. And what he did not know was, he cancelled the debt. Cancelled the debt. Comes back and Elisha says, where were you? He said, oh, I just went all over the place. He said, did not my spirit go with you? He said, young man, listen. There is a time for buying and selling. There is a time for making money. There is a time for en en enriching yourself. Yes, there is a time. But this is not the time. We're in a war. And what you have just done is to cancel the debt that he owed to Israel, by your foolishness. And so the leprosy that was on Naaman came upon Gehazi. My friends, we are living in a very tumultuous time. And the church must get ready for two things. The Apostle Paul says here that we must be ready for hardships. A soldier does not engage 
himself or entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him. If there's anything that God's saying to me personally, he says, when are you going to be completely sold out for me with regards to this? My friends, I tell you this, I am 100% with this. I believe we are living in a time of great uh, uh, contradiction and uh, the church must rise up in this hour. I was listening to the BBC interview driving to church one morning, this is several years ago, in my car and there was a Shiite woman being interviewed by a, by a BBC interviewer. And she was visiting the shrine of one of her, the martyrs of her faith that died in an explosion. And there were all kinds of booby traps and bombs, car bombs along the way en route to the shrine. So the BBC commentator said to her, aren't you afraid of the situation because it's pretty grim? And I never forgot what she said. She said, I am a disciple and she named this particular person. And she said, I am not afraid of war. I am not afraid of hardship. And I'm not afraid to die. I tell you, blood flow froze in my veins. That stirred me up because once you overcome the fear of dying, then and only will you be fearless. Here is a woman who says war is nothing to her because she is prepared to suffer and if necessary to die for what she believes. And the church must come to this place that we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony and that we love not our lives even unto death. I don't have a martyr syndrome, my friends, but I do believe that it's going to take a lot for us to go through these last days. If you never heard how Lance Wall now is a friend of ours, got saved, you should hear his testimony. A Christian was witnessing to him, and he was in a military school. A Christian was witnessing to him, and he was doing that. His friends, some jerks, doused him with a bucket of ice cold water as he was witnessing to Lance Walnau. And Lance Walnau was Jewish, is Jewish, of course. And he looked at these guys and was embarrassed about it. He says, please forgive my friends for being so stupid. And the young man said, that's ah, nothing. He said, our faith has been persecuted for the last 2,000 years. He said, we've been crucified. We've been thrown to the lions. We've been thrown and burned at the stake. Our eyes have been gorged out. Our tongues have been pulled out. They've killed us by the millions. This is nothing. Lance Waller, when he saw the faith of this young man, said, this is the real thing, man. This is the real thing. And I want to stand here and say to you today, our faith, people in our faith have suffered in the last 2,000 years. They've gone to the hell and back, but they have stood strong for the faith. Hallelujah. And I'm asking you today to stand up for Jesus, to stand up and count for Jesus, to make that decision, I have decided to follow Jesus. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? You say, Pastor, I prayed that sinner's prayer 20 years. I couldn't care less if you prayed that prayer, sinner's prayer 20 years ago. That doesn't save you. That doesn't save you. It's the start of the journey. Are you walking with Jesus today? That's the question I want to know. Are you still on fire for Him? Are you, do you still love Jesus the way you loved Him 20 years ago? Do you have that first love for Jesus? That's all I... Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Yes or no? Is He the Lord of your life? Don't vacillate between two opinions. If he is Lord, then serve him. If Bell is God, then serve Bell. But if Jesus is Lord, then serve Jesus. But don't vacillate between two opinions. We must, ex we must acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus. Does he have the steering wheel in your life? 
Does he call the shots in your life? That's the question. You say, Pastor, I'm a good person. Your morality might keep you out of prison, but it will not keep you out of hell. You said, someday I will receive salt. There are seven days in a week. Someday is not one of those days. My friends, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If today you hear His voice, you need to respond today. There are not five ways to heaven, four ways to heaven, three ways to heaven, two ways to heaven. There's only one way to heaven. His name is Jesus. That's non-negotiable. I want you to stand up with me, please. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.